Okay, friends, we are doing a new thing here at Free Love Yoga. This is going to go up um, on the podcast, and then you are probably watching this in the mindfulness section of our platform. And my name is Audra, and I'm here with Gina Rodini, who is um, just one of the most beautiful people I've ever met. We were just kind of going over what we were going to do with you guys. And Gina reminded me that I had written her a card, not at the COVID holiday season, but in the um, previous one when we had a beautiful um, Love Hive Christmas party, Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of thing, holiday Mm -hmm. party. And Mm -hmm. I had said to her um, that she was someone who has no residue. Um, And... I wanted to just expand upon that in my introduction, because I was thinking about that just this morning, where um, Richard Rohr, who is um, a beautiful, beautiful teacher of the Catholic and Christian tradition. Do you remember, Gina, what month, is he Franciscan? Is that right? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know. But I remember you um, mentioning him a lot in class. So. Yeah, he's part of some, he's someone who's really helped me to heal my um, Catholic wounds. And Mm -hmm. his definition of faith is so beautiful. And I think that it really goes, um, intertwines well with that idea of not having any residue, which is that Mm. he, he says that faith is accepting, right, over time that we are accepted. Mm faith is accepting that we are accepted, right? That Mm. there's nothing that we need to do or say or be to be worthy of the love of the divine. Wow. I know. And being around (laughs) Gina, that feeling of no residue, there's, I have never once felt like there was anything I needed to be other than myself. I'm going to (laughs) cry around (laughs) you. Um, And that that's the energy that you bring into the room when you enter the room is one of acceptance of all that is. Um, And that to me is immediately when I was beginning to start this project, I knew that I wanted you to be involved because I want those kinds of people to be in my life intimately. So welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Wow. We really stirred it up. That was so good. (laughs) I'm like crying already. What a door. (laughs) No, I love that. That vulnerability. I mean, this is where we need to be like more and more and even more because our culture just says like, put it away, compartmentalize it, repress it. It's not acceptable, whatever they say. And it's like, no, this is how we create really solid, deep foundational connections with people from the heart, from what's real. And so just like, keep the tears flowing. It's all good. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Right. (laughs) It is. It's, um, yeah, I think that I've been studying a lot, which I told you a little bit about the, um, teal organizations and the possibility of making free love a teal organization. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, can we make decisions not from our ego, but from our Mm. highest self. And Mm. so when we're making decisions about who we want to draw in and be close to us, is it coming from that place 
where we feel that deep connection and that deep resonance rather than the residue. Because like resonance has a different sort of um, uh, tone to it, you know? It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, this Mm -hmm. person, when I'm around her, which I feel like when I'm around you, I feel that like when I'm around Taha and Yanamitra. Um, Mm -hmm. And Donika, I'm just getting to know about the other people involved. It's like, there's this feeling of, oh, you know? Mm Like you can rest, like you can rest in someone's presence. Yes. And that's like, exactly. That's exactly Mm -hmm. it. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's get to know Gina team. Here we are. Uh, This is my first podcast interview ever. Usually it's just me like uh, free jazzing at all of you. (laughs) And then taping it. Um, Gina, would you be so kind as to tell us? your journey, like tell us mm-hmm. where um, you were born, what your mm-hmm. family was like, how you learned about mm-hmm. yoga. I want to hear it. Totally. So I grew up in a little town called San Bruno, California. Uh, it's just south of San Francisco. So I'm a Bay Area gal. And um, I, so my, uh, I grew up Catholic as well. And uh, uh, so I've got that as my religious background I the only time I felt connected to uh spirit to God um during that time of like all the way up until I got confirmed basically and you know we were going to church pretty regularly um uh, the only time I felt connected is when uh we were singing you know like the choir was going and uh you know these hymns were being sung and I I felt I felt um the energy of other people just really like singing, like singing out and calling out and like that longing that wanting to connect. Um, that's the only time that I felt that. And I was like, yes, this is the point of all of this. <laughs> not like, not necessarily all the, the stories and stuff. Like I wasn't sync for me personally, I wasn't syncing up that way. Um, but I was connecting with God, spirit, all that is, whatever you want to call that energy through devotional song. And that continued to follow me as I, um, as I continued to grow up. Um, I listened to the Beatles a lot as a little mm-hmm. person. And uh, the first t- mantra I ever heard was the uh, Maha Mantra Hare Krishna through George Harrison. So um, and even that song weaves in like Hallelujah, Hare Krishna, you know. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, already those seeds were being planted with respect to, oh, we can weave these things, even though I didn't figure that out for a really long time. <laughs> that it's all uh, the same. Wait, wait, I want to pause you. Okay, so yes. how old were how old were you when you had that feeling, right? That resonance that we started with in your heart where you're like, oh, this is it. This is connection. This is freedom. Exactly. Exactly. Probably somewhere between like, it started maybe when I was around eight, between like eight and Mm. 10, I feel like, but, and I continue to touch that a little bit, but also as you grow up, you're, you end up being tainted and affected by certain experiences. So I feel like as I got into my teenage years and stuff, it felt harder to connect because I was just going through my own stuff. Crazy. Like we all know this, like, it's just crazy when you're growing up in America or anywhere. 
um, and all the indoctrination that goes on with that. But yeah. Um, so here did you have, yeah. did you have a break with the Catholic church at all? Like where you were like this, this moment where you were like, I can't do this anymore. Well, I, um, so to fulfill my duty to my family, I, I went all the way up to getting confirmed. That was the last like Catholic sacrament that I took. And after that, it was like, uh, okay, we don't have to go to church anymore. Um, and <laughs> Classic. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we were yeah. those Catholics. Uh, we were those Catholics. And it was like, we um, checked the boxes. We could move on now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so there was no, there was no break for me there because there's no obligation anymore. I feel like if maybe that obligation continued to be pressed upon me, especially as I started to find out little things about Buddhism and other Eastern traditions, I feel like I would have had to break, um, or rebel in that way. Um, as I was starting to find other Eastern things, but it seemed like just a natural transition. Like as that kind of floated out of my life, I actually started coming to, to yoga. Um, it, at our library, we had um, a section, an exercise section, VHS tapes for those of you who remember those. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> right, and I got these um, uh, Patricia Walden, like Iyengar, <gasps> you, yeah, just like no, that's Patricia. Patricia is my teacher Christina's teacher still yeah to this day yeah. so she's like in our lineage cool yeah so that those video those tapes were some of my first exposures to the practice of asana and um as as time moved forward and I got into college um I started taking yoga as an elective class and I met another Iyengar teacher. Um, he's not very, he's not very well known, but his teacher was, uh, or yeah, probably still is Rodney Yee. So, um, <laughs> Iyengar, <laughs> yeah. So Iyengar, uh, were my, was my roots in yoga asana. Mm -hmm. Um, and after that I met who I call or who I define as my teacher, like the game changer, the one that changed my life. Her name is Jean Maze, and she's a student of Rod Stryker. So, okay. um, mm -hmm. so from her, um, and Rod Stryker is not her main teacher. She also studied uh, deeply with a metaphysician named Dennis Adams, who lives in Mount Shasta, I think, still. Um, so, Jean it is still like one of those teachers where like I'd be taking her class, like these really challenging vinyasa level two, three ish classes. And, uh, you know, it was like, she would say things and give cues and just like little pieces here and there where I was like, is she talking to me? Like, is she reading my mind? You know, mm -hmm. every, every single class was like that with her and still my God, like if I read one of her blog posts or if I listen to her speak, or if I go back to an old video that she's done, I'm like, shit, she just, <laughs> she just hits me. I don't know. She's, she's that person for me. So, and it's interesting because in my first classes with her, uh, 
she what was our post focus it was hanumanasana and she was talking <laughs> she was talking about hanuman in class and stuff so and through my teacher training with her we it was held in this studio called nandi yoga in san mateo um in the bay area um and that was a big bhakti yoga um studio so at our teacher training there you know during teacher training you are asked to take other people's classes to see how other people teach and sequence and all of that stuff the themes mm-hmm. that they focus on so at that studio there was a resident harmonium hanging out and i would go to um uh jiva mukti classes were my favorite at that studio and uh giselle mari um a very well-known Jiva Mukti teacher um, was teaching there at the time. And so through that, I got everything, you know, Jiva Mukti is like, it's bhakti, it's, it's hard, hard asana, and uh, fun music and, and scripture, and that's what it's all about. And I really loved that, that weaving, like, it's, it was a whole experience that yeah. class. I was like, everything else is lackluster compared to this. <laughs> totally. I remember the first class that I went to that where there was singing. Like, yeah. And I was like, oh, like oh. I get it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it did. It made every other class that I went to that didn't start with some sort of mantra, some sort of like coming together with our voices feel. Mm-hmm um incomplete in this way I know I know yeah. and, and can we, I just want to define for folks who don't know can you tell us how would you define bhakti yoga like how is that different perhaps from other kinds of yoga for folks who don't know absolutely so a uh, bhakti yoga as I know it is um it's the yoga of devotion and as Ram Das would say it's the path of the heart um so in in bhakti yoga uh, compared with other paths of yoga, like uh, there's like the yoga of knowledge, Gyan yoga, there's um, Raja yoga, the, the king's path, like there's all these different, uh, there's four main paths of yoga, um, as mm-hmm. defined in, in the texts. And bhakti uh, is totally different from all of those, because what it, what it invites us to do is it invites us to use our emotions which uh, for most of us, you know, our lives are run by our emotions and how we feel or don't feel about things. So um, everything to me, bhakti yoga means that everything that I feel and everything that I experience is fair game for practice. And I channel whatever I am feeling into the harmonium when I'm chanting or with my guitar. It's my it's especially if I'm in pain, which is, which has been a lot in my life. It's like, uh, how can I, I just need to release this. I need to let go. I need to call out like, and connect because I feel so disconnected. I felt so disconnected in my life. Um, and still to this day, it's, this situation isn't remedied, you know, there's no, (laughs) there's no cure because life is a dance between connection and disconnection the spiritual path and that's what bhakti is about too it's like there are moments where you're in the oneness and you are present everything is perfect blissed out you know the words can go on and on and on Uh, and those 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 moments where you're 
where you can also be chanting or whatever you're doing and you're not connecting. And you can, Krishna says, sometimes when he's chanting, he's bored out of his mind, but he still <laughs> does the practice, you know? Um, yep. <laughs> so everything that you feel is, um, it's all fair game. And as for me personally, as someone who has been uh, ruled by the intensity of my emotions, a lot of my life, um, bhakti yoga and the practice of chanting, which chanting mantra is a core practice in bhakti yoga. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people can relate with that because the yeah. perception of of um, sort of like mindfulness practice or heart opening practice or meditation or yoga even is somehow that we're supposed to get beyond the emotions, yeah. right? Right. Let's and transcend that. Mm-hmm. Let's transcend that. And that's been one of the big realizations in my life is like, actually, how can we use that? And again, to quote Ram Das, who's like the favorite of you, both you and I, it's all grist <laughs> for the mill, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> and in the last year, it's interesting because I feel like I was caught up in that idea that oneness was somehow, quote unquote, a goal. And that's uh-huh. just the striving <laughs> part of me. And right. the realization that I had in the last year um, through these kinds of practices and whatnot is, is that it's the, the beauty is actually in the dance, is that's in right. the relational aspect, is in the duality, is in the, right. um, like love can't, you can't feel the relational aspect of love without there being a two, you know? That's um, right. Yeah. Yeah. How I heard it explained once is, I, I don't know if um, this is kind of an ad- adapted um, quote from a saint, but it's something along the lines of if, if you become, if you become the honey, in other words, if you d- just dissolve into oneness, if you become the honey, you can't taste it anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't taste the nectar <laughs> anymore if you're not, se- if you're not separate from it. And a lot of uh, rasa or um, like the flavor is a word that's used a lot in uh, in bhakti yoga. It's like uh, that that taste of what it's like <laughs> to be yep. free or to feel love or expansion or whatever it is, connection, whatever it is that you want. You have to continue to subscribe to duality to have that because once you're in the oneness, it's everything uh it can get kind of uh, uh, boring because you're not playing you're not playing with the opposites anymore so yes well in the nature yeah. of the universe is one of expansion and contraction right That's which right. in and of itself is one of duality and so right. um <laughs> to be to be sort of like moving into this place where we want to become the honey is egoic mm-hmm. almost to me. It's like coming from this place <laughs> of ego rather than this place of um, being, I don't I don't know, there's freedom in letting the dance be the dance. And I always say exactly. this, the remembering and the forgetting, the remembering, the remembering and, the and the forgetting. Yeah. And the forgetting becomes sweet when we realize that it's an opportunity <laughs> to remember again. That's like the best mm-hmm. part about it to me. Um, I'm like, oh my God, I totally. forgot. That means I get to remember and to connect. And to use the emotions to connect is so, I think, ra- radical to people. Totally. I was mm-hmm. just listening to um, 
it's an older um, podcast. I think it was recorded last year, but I was listening to East Forest on the Aubrey Marcus podcast and uh, East Forest said something along the lines of like, we remember to forget and we forget to remember and that we all this time, like practice is just exercising that muscle of mm. coming back. Of, and it's like, we know that when we don't exercise our physical muscles that they atrophy. So practice, practice quite literally helps you to become stronger so that when you have those moments, when you're just connected, you know, that it's temporary and you know that you have, um, the tools in your toolbox and you've got the the arsenal of practice to be able to come back whenever you want. Um, mm, I like that like want. new usage of the word arsenal. <laughs> like let's have the yeah. arsenal of our practice be available to us to remember right. how to connect again. That's so beautiful. <laughs> mm. um, okay. So you were down in the Bay area. Let's get back to Gina's yes. life story. <laughs> So I was taking, I was in my 200 hour teacher training, um, and at that yoga studio, Nandi yoga, which is where I got my larger exposure to bhakti yoga. Mm -hmm. So, um, after that point, it was like a year and a half. And I went, um, and did my 500 hour with, um, with just my teacher. And, um, so with, with Jean, um, we learned about metaphysics and we learned about Tantra and we learned about, and, and mantra was included as like part of that through her. I learned about um, the subtle aspects of yoga. Mm. And because of her, I grew to have less of an emphasis on my asana practice. Like I began to understand it as like, it's part of the deal, but it's not all of it, which is interesting because what we get most of our exposure to today is that asana is all of it. <laughs> and yes. um, which is fine because you know what? It's a, it's a gateway. We, we go, um, as Trevor Hall says, we go in and through the body. Yeah. So knowing yoga as asana is not necessarily a bad thing because that is that was my gateway in that's so many other people's gateway in when they're in the beginning, when they're in that place of, uh, I, I want to feel better and move this energy and all of this, but well, and it's a socially acceptable doorway to walk through at this point. That That's right. It's because it's accepted as now as a form of exercise, but yoga, yeah, even yoga asana didn't used to be that way. Yoga asana used to be the freaking weird thing, you know? Oh yeah. That's <laughs> 20, part of my 20 story. or 30 years ago. Totally. Yeah, when I was 13, I asked my folks for a yoga class for like uh -huh. my <laughs> birthday. And uh -huh. <laughs> there were two people in Portland, Oregon who taught holiday Johnson. Um, mm -hmm. And I think I can't remember who the other one is. I want to say it's Todd Jackson. Who's actually currently my teacher. <laughs> um, right. Um, but that was it. And so my parents were like, Hey, where did you learn about yoga? I literally have no idea. Like it was just <laughs> something that came into my consciousness. So then they got me a, um, a thick wrestlers mat, um, and a yoga journal from like the nineties. 
which I like read over and over (laughs) and over again, which is so funny to think about now. Um, But yeah, it wasn't even back then. It was like very, it was considered strange um, and was not the status part of like the status quo of what it means to be um, uh, a person who's into fitness. You know, now if you're doing anything like the blazers do yoga, you know, (laughs) right, right. Totally. Yeah. So Um, it just goes to show you how time just changes like dynamics and paradigms mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. So um, back to the story. So I did my 500 hour with my teacher and then not very long after that, this was like 2011, 2012, I moved from the Bay area to Portland and I um, pretty much as soon as I got to Portland, I was looking um, for yoga studios to teach at and also to practice at. And I ended up at Yo-Yo Yogi and also um, teaching and practicing there. And I also came to the Bhakti shop because they, I knew like from looking at the website and things like that. And obviously from taking my first few classes there, that, um, that there was a resident harmonium there, that chanting was a part of almost every single class that I was in. And, uh, you know, I went to their kirtans and, mm-hmm. and everything. So I got my dose of bhakti yoga when I moved to Portland too. And I was like, ah, oh, like, this is it for me. Like from, from church when I was little until now I'm like, you know, singing to, uh, or then, and now I'm singing to Krishna, I'm singing to all of these deities and just having these really profound experiences of connection of fullness of wholeness and um it wasn't something um I'll tell you that nothing no relationship no meditation experience no well actually plant medicine experiences come close but that level of connection like it's very hard to find outside of yourself <laughs> and yeah mant- mantra and chanting that that stuff leads you inside it leads you du- it's a direct like super highway into your heart and th- the most powerful thing that chanting does and singing and singing pajans and devotional songs is it gets you out of your mind and down into your and down into your heart where things matter at least to me mm-hmm. and um yeah, as a person b- being ruled by my emotions, like most of us, I'm also ruled by my thoughts. And chanting mantra and other devotional songs is like my reprieve from my mind. <laughs> and is that, would you say that that would be your definition of mantra? Is that super highway into yeah, the heart? It's, it's the super highway into the heart. And of course I love the other more, I guess, traditional definitions I've heard, which are uh, mantra means to deliver the mind. Man comes from the word manas, which means mind. And tra, that word means to transcend or to deliver. So mm-hmm. I love that more traditional variation that I've heard too. But yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, it's the dropping of the mind down into the that super highway of the heart mm. and cleaning up. I mean, if we look at the, uh, the subtle body, the chakra system, there's a deep connection between your throat and your thinking mind. Um, and inevitably chanting in a devotional way 
has that effect in the heart. So yeah, it is this super highway that moves from here or the energy flows through here. And ultimately the power of mantra is it's purifying. Um, Mm. And not that, not that we're looking at it like, Oh, like this is dirty or this is whatever, but that's just what naturally happens. It's a sweeping out um, a decluttering, well, that um, leads us right back to where we started, which was with the residue, yeah. right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and like, it's a, maybe pur- purification is one way to look at it, but really it's a simplification process. Mm. Living in your headspace is complicated. Uh, it's fast. It, um, but we can't escape it. We, you know, we have minds because they're attached to our little egos and, um, you know, it, it's, um, so we can't get away from it, but we can take a break. And yeah. it's not it's not escaping. It's necessary <laughs> for our health, for our well-being. And uh, anybody who does these kinds of more devotional practices or even like more uh, formal meditative practices, anybody will tell you that doing some variation of practice helps with this process of... Um, simplification because I love that so much simplification Gina that's beautiful yeah because that's really what it is it's bringing you down to like what matters like you just said before and like yeah that's what matters to me is like can I be spacious and open and expansive right here you know totally totally and and as as you cultivate that and build that like exercising that muscle of remembrance through whatever it is that you're doing for practice you uh, you can't help but like radiate that out to the world around you and you well, lend other people the possibility of becoming more free and yes and, and that was things. the question that I was going to ask you is like how do you yeah. see this practice um radiating into your life to use your word you know like yeah. what's the practical aspect like when people are like okay well here I am like I'm going to try this mantra practice. What, what happened for yeah. you and your experience? Totally. Every day is different for one thing. Um, <laughs> every day is different. So right off, if you're expecting to feel the same every time, or if I'm <laughs> expecting to feel the same every time, uh, like, no, it doesn't work like that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, the asana to, teaches that it's like every day. Yeah. Dog, every day. It's so different Um, because we're dynamic beings and it it boils right down to what what did you eat? Uh, What kind of stimulus did you take in? How did you sleep? Blah, blah, blah. So so what it does is it takes a while sometimes to drop in for me. Like um, I'll be on the harmonium or on the guitar and I try to let the sound I try to not have any expectations of like what I'm going to do when I sit down and, and chant or sing any other kind of song. Um, I, I really like to start with the vibration and allow that to take me into whatever I begin to sing or whatever I begin to chant Um, and doing it that way without expectation of, or a plan right from the get go is like, I'm, automatically pretty much out of my own way and that's the thing is uh 
you will get in your own way in this practice because your mind's going to want to fight. It'll fight till the very end. <laughs> and, um, but that's part of the practice. So you witness like Krishna Das says this all the time. You're uh, when you're chanting or singing in another way too, you're witnessing your mind, like do its thing and you get distracted or you get bored or you get sad. You start to cry. All of these things happen to me um, during practice and sometimes all in one sitting, depending on how long I'm sitting down. This was a big um, revelation. I feel like because as someone like when I started playing the harmonium and chanting, uh-huh. I it took such concentration in the beginning, right? Yeah. To yeah. remember the mantras, to remember what to do with my fingers. And like mm-hmm. as a shy-ish person growing up that I was even doing this in front of people was kind of um, wild to me. And then right. over time, what happened is that I started to notice that I could be full on like passionately singing with a group yes. of people. And my mind yes. could still be moving and all of it could oh be happening at once. Oh my God. It's so crazy. <laughs> but for me though, but for me though, I don't, I don't, and it's happened to me in kirtans that, that I've led and stuff yeah. to. And when I, uh, if I get distracted by some ego trip that I'm going on or whatever, I will mess up on the harmonium. So I don't get off that easy. <laughs> oh, but uh, I, hey. so, it, it tends to be my pattern in meditation too, where I could like, both can be happening at once and it makes me laugh so much. I'm like, oh my God, you're so <laughs> persistent, mind. Like you were so persistent. Dogged. <laughs> anyway, yeah. continue. Yeah. So it's it's all um like when we were talking about bhakti yoga before, mm-hmm. like it's all fair game. Anything can happen on any day. And I um I think even though it's it feels the best in the end, I actually have a really hard time when I start to cry um, because it means I can't sing anymore. Some people can sing like, oh, gosh, some of these um, Indian bhaktas who just sing and sing and sing, they can sing through their tears and their voice doesn't crack and it still sounds beautiful and all this. And I'm like, God, um, <laughs> <laughs> but like I'm I'm ugly I'm ugly crying sometimes <laughs> when I'm like yeah big time when I'm chanting uh it happens a lot when I chant the Hanuman Chalisa um and you know I what I as a devotee of my guru Maharaji I I learned to take all of that as grace like I'm chanting to Hanuman for example and I and I start to get stirred up in that way and I'm just profusely crying I can't sing anymore and I just keep playing the harmonium and I breathe and I move through the wave you know because and eventually I can start to sing again but I can't push it I can't rush it I can't bypass it it's there so it's a way to just accept those moments as grace and mm-hmm. to not to try my best not to judge myself because I mean, I really do a lot. And uh, yeah, so that's what those moments teach me. And uh, when I'm on the ego trip, uh, you know, I, I lose my fingering on the harmonium or on the guitar as well. Um, And if I'm, if I'm bored, 
that's frustrating because I'm like, God, <laughs> usually I connect, usually I connect and I, and I'm so, I'm like getting what I want out of this practice. Da, 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 da. And uh, it doesn't happen very often, but when I'm bored, I think that's, um, that's the next hardest um, as compared with like when I cry, when I'm chanting. So. Yeah. I think, you know, we get yeah. used to that way. Um, we get addicted, right? Yeah. To the way that we connect, that yeah. ends up being what happens. And then we have to, at least for me, what I have to do, and I advise my students to do this, is to remember that it's not about the means in which we connect. It's about the connection and that feeling of liberation, right? That right. touching in that we can get itself. And then usually it's like, as soon as I let go of like the needing it to be a certain way, then there's the Ah, <sighs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> and when you yeah. said um, your guru Maharashi, are you speaking about Mean Karoli Baba? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. for those. I just and, want to clarify for folks that. Oh, that totally. Is, uh, yeah. yeah. Do you want to explain? Yeah. Sure. I was like, oh, is this going to be a story for another time? But <laughs> oh no. But, and um, then go ahead. I I can. I can. Yeah. Okay. Um. Oh God, Maharaji. Um. <laughs> so to give you context, those of you who are watching, um, Maharaji died in 1973. Okay. So, uh, he's, um, just to put in a few words, he's a saint and a saint and people call him guru as well. I call him guru as well, but it's, um, the true spiritual masters, they don't need a body physically to be able to transmit their wisdom, their teachings, and their grace to you. So for a long time, it um, it took me a long time to accept him as my as my guru. You know, the and the largest hurdle was, but I want to have a guru that's in the body, like because that's what so many people say, but. What Maharaji said over and over again is you don't need, they don't need to be in the body. In fact, you may be, I don't know, there are many spiritual masters who are in the body who are corrupt and it's, you know, it's <laughs> tricky. It's tricky. I mean, to say the least, you know, yeah. but, um, so that was the dance that I did for a long time. And obviously my connection to, um, Krishna Das was my gateway into all of this. Um, and I heard his chants in my yoga classes in college that I took with that Iyengar instructor, um, he played Krishna Das in his classes. So, and uh, when I heard Krishna Das chant for the first time, and so many people share this, it's like, who is that? Where is this depth coming from? And why do I feel like I know that voice? Mm. So, yeah. And, and, and so I continue to listen to Krishna Das because I loved his voice. And much later, um, I was introduced to Ramdas, and I started to listen to Ramdas's talks, um, older recordings of his talks. And um, eventually, through Ramdas, I got to hear stories about Maharaji. And from that experience, I started getting exposed to other people who were telling stories about Maharaji. And I started through social media the gift of social media, um, you know, you get connected with more and more people who have more and more to say. And it's like, 
whoa, this is, this is a thing. But I still was like, I don't know, man. I don't like, I don't know if I can call him my guru. Isn't that a little presumptuous or <laughs> whatever? Uh, or am I doing it just because all these other people say it and I feel this connection. And so I feel like I could say it. But um, when I went to India for the first time in 2018, uh, I was in a, it was in the middle of the Rajasthani desert um, in a town called Pushkar. And in Pushkar, uh, there's a lake in the, it's a very holy lake that's in the center of the town. And uh, I was warned by multiple people that there are like charlatans who will just like take advantage of you and say, oh, here, let me like, let me take you to the lake. You do this puja. It's good for your family, money, X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so I was in, uh, I was in the Brahma temple in Pushkar and this guy comes up to me and he starts talking to me. And uh, we start talking about Lord Brahma and like mantras and all of this stuff. He wanted to find out like what I knew about yoga and Hinduism and stuff like that. And so I was like, okay, this guy's like being my friend, impressionable little Gina here. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so he ends up taking me to this cot, uh, these steps that lead to down to the lake and I realized oh shit like I'm gonna get ripped off by this guy now (laughs) and um so because I am a people pleaser and I didn't want to ruffle anybody's feathers I went through the puja and in going through the puja he asked me a series of questions and he asked me who my guru was (laughs) and I said Deem Karoli Baba (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I just didn't know what else to say. I was like, he's my, he's my guru. And, you know, when you listen to stories about Maharaji, um, they're called uh, leelas or like little plays that go on, little things that are arranged, basically. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that was Maharaji's leela with me, I think. Uh, oh, and my it was God. So- I love that. <laughs> yeah. And after that, the guy, uh, so we finished the puja and the guy didn't just like walk away. He took me um, to like his shop or something and he gave me chai and um, he he just continued to ask me questions and stuff like he wanted to get to know me, I guess. Um, So... And then he asked me for more money afterwards. And I was like, no, I'm sorry. Like, I can't. Um, but that One was my just enough. <laughs> One poo just enough. Um, anyway, so, yeah, that was my my little Leela where I, like, declared Maharaji as my guru. And he continued to play with me when I was in India. It's just, like, crazy. I Where I would um, just, like, see his picture in a... Uh, random places because nothing is random and um of course I got to visit because I rearranged my plans I got to visit his um uh samadhi stan uh the temple in Vrindavan where his ashes are um Mm -hmm. and had just really profound experiences there to say the least and Mm -hmm. um yeah so Maharaji is I just like, and I say it now without any shame. I had a lot of shame around it before because I just wasn't sure. And mm. uh, I can't, 
I can't, I can't deny it. And I haven't, after those experiences in India, I haven't been able to, to deny it. I'm just like, he's my guru. There it is. And there's no, there's no changing that. <laughs> and oh my I, gosh, think that, I think that he always, he always was. So yeah, I just had to realize. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, and that you had to do the dance with him. I think that that, I just love that story so much because it flips, um, you know, it flips it on its head. It almost like drew it out of you. Right. Like <laughs> totally. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And like the series of events that led up to me just like being in the Brahma temple, like I just got dropped off there. I was hanging out with a friend um, that I had met before and he just dropped me off at the Brahma temple and uh, just dropped off at the Brahma temple. He just dropped me off at the Brahma <laughs> temple. Like he could have, he could have taken, he could have dropped me off anywhere um, in that part of town, but uh, I got dropped off at the Brahma temple. So, <laughs> so yeah. so yeah the Leela it's like yeah what else to say and there are so many as you if you start to read about Maharaji more you realize like there are so many parallels with like stories that Ram Dass tells and he has that Mm -hmm. whole book that he wrote called Miracle of Love um, which is a collection of other people's stories and just it's everywhere it's available everywhere Um, and I found that connecting through those stories and now having my own like this is my this is my connection to Maharaji and not just through words but through like the impact of the words that is totally undeniable and um I can't I can't help it um I really can't (laughs) so yeah well and that speaks to the deep connection of um like the heart that you were talking about earlier and also Mm. like rolling back to like what is socially acceptable and not socially acceptable in the West that it would not, it's not like um, we tend to be (laughs) led by systems, right. Rather Mm. than gurus. And so the system becomes like we're led by capitalism or we're led by Mm. um, the system of like Catholicism is like very much like a system. Right. But right. this is like a spirit being who has touched you and opened you and yeah. led you, helped to lead you down this path. And that is, um, I can, I know exactly what you mean around the speaking about it publicly and the shame around it and that feeling of like, oh my is, God. This, is this real? Like that yes. kind of feeling. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Totally. Because it's like, it's what it basically boils down to like implicit faith and trust in the unseen, like, and um, Krishna Das so beautifully explains it as like, Maharaji is like the unseen hand that like works through my life and guides me and, you know, Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Do you think, okay, Mm. so here's a personal question that I have for you. Mm -hmm. So ever since Ram Das died, I have literally felt like he is my spirit guide. And have had yes. multiple yes. experiences. <clears throat> I had I didn't really like um like I knew about Ram Das and felt like touched by his teachings and his writing, but I didn't feel yes. this like enmeshment with him is the mm. best way to describe it. Mm. And I don't know. <laughs> um I guess like 
my question for you would be, and we're getting like deep into it here, friends. We're going to have cool. Gina sing us yeah. a song in a minute, but this is just what <laughs> yoga nerds do when they're hanging out together. Um, do you think would that, and my, this isn't a question that I haven't been able to ask anyone else. And I didn't know this part of your story, but I've been questioning. I'm like, is that Maharaji working through like spirit being mm-hmm. Ramdas or is that Ramdas <laughs> spirit or is there any separation and does it matter? Like those are kind of what I go through when these kinds of things happen. Fair enough. I think it's all of it. I think it's everything that you said. Okay. And many people believe that when Ramdas came back, when he was still alive and back in the 60s and the early 70s, when he came back from India to teach and speak, uh-huh. uh, many people believe that it was uh, Maharaji speaking through him. Uh, so I feel like, Ramdas has always been to at least to me a vehicle for the voice and the of Maharaji, of Maharaji. Yeah. and I yeah. just feel like now that now that Ramdas left his body that they are working they um there's no difference between him and Maharaji now they're both they're both together and um dissolved into each other and because Ramdas doesn't have a body anymore he's more available um to us (laughs) and it's sad I really grieved when he died because I always wanted to go to Maui and meet him um but uh I had to just move through that um and just realize I've got a picture of him in front of me right now and uh uh all I have to do is like look into um like this picture of Ram Dass and like look into his eyes and I'm like I just I feel everything, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I guess okay. it's clear that I didn't, I didn't need to meet him in the body to experience his blessing and his grace and his love. Well, that's, yeah, that's the thing is that I actually feel like so intimately close with him and loved by him and held by him that it yeah. is, um, I, it is not something I experienced when he was alive. No, <laughs> like no. it wasn't. And the, so there's something else going on. Um, Definitely. <laughs> yeah. And if I allow it, that's the other thing. It's funny. One of the, um, I got kind of speaking of addiction when I was mm-hmm. first experiencing this connection with this energy that is Maharaji Ramdas, the, the enmeshment mm-hmm. of both of them, I got mm-hmm. kind of addicted to like feeling it. And so my meditation practice became like constantly wanting to connect, connect until I got very clear messaging, like words, like moving through my brain that were essentially like, will you stop challenging the connection? We're always here. (laughs) We're always here. Oh my God. One. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And I was constantly testing it. I was like, are you there? Are you there? Are Mm -hmm. you there? Mm -hmm. Because I'd never experienced anything like that in my entire life. And finally, I was like, oh, my God, always like never not a second. Or is it available? Or is this energy available for you to help open your heart and connect with something larger than you? You know, yeah, it was profound. (laughs) Yeah. One thought away, one breath away all the time. Yeah. We just like uh, this is another little line by Krishna Das. He says, like. Maharaji and now Ramdas, like he said, these beings are always here. We're the ones who are not here, you know, because we're caught up. Yes. We're, yes. And we're caught up 
in the uh, just the onslaught of stuff all the time. Yeah. So the forgetting, the forgetting part, the forgetting. <laughs> okay, yeah. you're probably getting tired. I'm. <laughs> I'm like just no. I like, no. <laughs> no, I love talking about this stuff, and um, I yeah. As Me long too. as you there's, want. There's like a <laughs> yeah. freedom in it. Um, you know, speaking with you, Gina, that is just so precious, I think. Um, yeah. That anything can be said, that anything can be talked about, that anything can be held. Do you want to send us yeah. out with a mantra? Yes, sure. Do you have any okay. requests? No. What do I you want to hear? No. I want the <laughs> God to move through you. Uh, okay, cool. Oops, I didn't knock that over. Okay. Okay. I wonder if the harmonium might be a little bit too close to the phone. I'm going to slide this back. Okay. I feel so lucky right now. <laughs> I know other people are going to see this and listen to this, but I feel like it's like, oh, this is like just me and jeans and God hanging out. <laughs> We're all hanging out. Oh, my goodness. All right. Hmm. Guru Brahma Guru Vishnu Guru Devo Maheshwara Guru Sakshat Parabrahma Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Guru Brahma Guru Vishnu Guru Devo Maheshwara Guru Sakshat Para Brahma Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Shri Guru Charana Saro Jaraja 
about tasting the honey damn (laughs) (laughs) Gina is there anything that you wish I would have asked you that I didn't I don't think so I feel pretty complete (laughs) yeah me too Thank that you. Was so good. <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't know the roads we were going to travel. I was like thinking about it this morning and wondering about how it would go and what questions, you know, and we did our little like pre meeting, pre game meeting, mm-hmm. the pre funk. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I love talking to you so much. Oh my God. You're glowing right now, by the way. <laughs> um, if those of you on the podcast, it's like one little moment of mantra and Gina is lit up like a firecracker from the inside. <laughs> um, um, and I'm just really grateful. We went far and wide and deep, like go deep or go home over here. Um, Pretty much, I, yeah. Thank you for mm-hmm. taking the time out of your day. And I cannot wait. Um, as you know, um, we received that sort of prescient text from that friend of mine who was like, are we doing this or what regarding the mantra and um, singing together and starting to learn. And it feels, um, it just feels correct. You know? So I appreciate you. I love you so much. I love you too. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. (laughs)